0: Welcome to Beyond Medicine. My name is Rami Webby, I'm the host of the podcast. I'm a physician with a particular interest in healthcare innovation, building a better healthcare experience, and overall health and well-being. In this podcast, we bring you inspiring leaders from across the medical landscape to help us build a better medicine and lead a better life. We hope you enjoy. Karak Justani. What's up, my brother? How are you?
1: Good, man. How are you?
0: (laughs) I'm doing well. Great to have you on the show. Uh, I'm excited to talk about your business venture, React. Yeah,
1: Uh, Yeah, it's going to be fun.
0: Yeah. And, dude, you have a very unique story, um, and you are a unique individual. We've met on Clubhouse several times. We've been in talks involving business and medicine, the future of healthcare, (laughs) and it's been really I see a little bit of myself in you um, especially like sometimes when we're talking in the groups on Clubhouse um, and especially for someone like you know like yourself who is currently pursuing an MD MBA and you're in your fourth year of medical school it's a it's an interesting position to be in and to talk on subjects like the ones that we've talked about several times on Clubhouse Um, so I'd love to talk about your non-traditional story and how you um, how well, I think our listeners will be really curious about is how you built React, which is an hmm. organic chemistry board, board game. game. I'm yeah. giving away all your good stuff, I'll <laughs> let you get into all this. Take it away, my man. <laughs> well, yeah, well, I can just give you a short lowdown about me.
1: So, um, I'm Pre Rack, I was born in India and then uh, grew up mostly in California. I went to Berkeley for undergrad, and, and now I'm doing an MD MBA at Yale. Um, but I think what you were mentioning is like, um, What really got me interested in the business side, right? Like, cause I, when I was at Berkeley, I was mostly just pre-med, but I, uh, in my year off between undergrad and medical school, I actually like realized I wanted to create a game for organic chemistry just because I remembered everyone hating organic chemistry. And I was one of the few people that liked it. And the reason I liked it is because it, it's like a game, you know, like it almost was like a lot of like thinking about how can I change A to B? It's almost like the same in Monopoly, where you go from like, how am I going to win this game? What properties would I need to buy? And how do I need to get them? Um, And so, because of that, I spent that whole year in between undergrad and med school making a game. And like, every step was really basic. Like, we would make, we would draw things up on the whiteboard. And after that, we actually, um, you know, went to Berkeley and, created the product and once we had the product we ultimately <laughs> were able to crowdfund like over $35,000 worth of um, you know money to get this to market and now it's like being sold worldwide and that was like beyond my wildest dreams never thought something like that would ever happen but to like have an idea and to bring it out into the world brought me so much joy and i was like oh my god i want to do this like i want to do more of this and so that's what inspired me to go into business school and get an MBA aside uh, on top of my MD
0: Dude, that is incredible. Mm -hmm. I will say organic chemistry was the only class in pre-med and when I was a pre-med that I really enjoyed for whatever reason. I think it's like one of the few classes I actually got an A in.
1: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) yet another similarity between me and
0: you. Yeah. So uh, I I relate a lot to that. And it is is an interesting, a very interesting subject, um, which we, you know, unfortunately didn't learn any more about in medical school. But still – that's really cool, and the fact that you were able to do that and build a board game and crown for it and then have it take off and be successful is really, really intriguing because not a lot of people that I consider medical-esque or pre-med or people that go into medicine are particularly people that build things and, you know, are massively successful. It's really like type A personality, head down, in the books, doing things. Yeah, I feel you, dude, yeah. So it's, you know, for me, this is like really interesting and like it's very unique and different. Yeah. So I'm just curious, like where do you think, like have you always felt yourself a little bit different than the average pre-med or have you always felt like you were kind of like in line with Mm. what – what a typical pre-med is kind of focused on?
1: I I kind of relate to both. So I think I definitely have the same passions as most pre-meds do, which is like science and, you know, trying to do well in classes and being a good student. But the place where I differ is like what you just mentioned, like the type A-ness. Like that is really interesting because I think the type A-ness, maybe not so much for pre-meds, but I see it a lot in med students and doctors where it's like very like you know, diligent, very meticulous, very high, um, attention to detail. And for me, I've never really been like that. And so maybe in that regard, I'm different. I'm like much more of like a free spirit. I don't think I like make my bed every morning and I'm more <laughs> like I'll clean my room maybe once a week, uh, kind of deal. My mind is usually like a clutter and like, there's always 80 things that are going on as opposed to like most of my friends were very like to-do list, to-do list, to-do list. Here's how I'm going to like, study eight hours a day and get everything done. And I I kind of play things by ear and like hope I can get it done. Um, So in that (laughs) regard, I I think, I'm hoping there are more people like me. We need more like open thinkers, uh, but there are definitely a lot of type A's in medicine.
0: Absolutely. Dude, this is the thing that um, is not tangibly – Accounted for in academia or no. it's not rewarded in academia. Like there are two schools of thought there are the You know, there are two different kind of ways people think, you know There's some people that are really big picture thinkers that look at the world and see everything And for, uh, for what it is
1: exactly and right. then
0: there is like a different kind of thinking which is a lot of medical thinking where it's very narrow and focused and they don't see the big picture they just see what's in front of them they see the task at hand and they're very diligent and meticulous and attentive to the details each yes. has each has its perks and each has its advantages but also has its disadvantages unfortunately academia rewards one side of the spectrum which is the narrow focus minded diligent part and really um, makes the other end of the spectrum which is the more uh you know free-flowing big picture um you know creative side of things that side doesn't get rewarded in the structure of what leads to becoming a doctor so and exactly. that doesn't that doesn't mean and like this is what people don't understand like just because this side is better suited in academia does not make this side better doctors or better you know, clinicians in any sense. It's just Mm -hmm. two different Mm -hmm. modes of working. And unfortunately, for those of us that fall into the big picture side and the bigger thinking and creative side, which I also classify myself as, unfortunately, we really suffer in academia because it's not meant for that. It's not structured for that. It doesn't know how to qualitative, or it doesn't know how to basically grade that kind of thinking, right?
1: Absolutely. I mean, you almost think about it, right? Like, what do we how do we even get graded? In kindergarten, you get graded for, you know, color this butterfly. And then that literally propagates all the way up through medical school where you're graded on, you know, random questions and getting the diagnosis right. So we're, we're quite literally selecting for people who are better, because if you get into medical school, you had great grades, which means you're great at that. You're at least decent at this aspect of if I tell you what to do, you'll like provide a product that's probably above average. But like very rarely are there actually like ways for you to exercise this other muscle in your body, which I almost argue is just as important, if not more, because a lot of the problems in healthcare today are insanely open-ended, insanely. There's 80 solutions out there and it's going to take a lot to figure out. But guess what? There's no like formula for it. There's no like A, B, C, D, F, G, and then you'll solve healthcare. You literally have to be like, what's the issue here? How can we think about it? And because we don't get incentivized as students to start thinking that way, it's tougher to do it Um, unless you seek it out on your own, unless you actually have an experience like maybe you've had with this podcast and I had with the board game where you create something and you're like, wow, that's my baby. I'm proud of that. I saw a need. um, I thought I could solve it and maybe I didn't do the best job, but here's my effort of solving this unmet need that didn't have any directions of how to solve, um, but I'm going to just give it a shot. Um, and that's, that's where like real innovation comes from, right? Like you think of the real innovators, like Steve Jobs with the iPhone and Elon Musk's with, with the Tesla and PayPal's, they take a big need in society and even now clubhouse, right? Take a big need in society, which in clubhouse is like this need for social connection and this ability and willingness to potentially engage on dialogue. And they are like, okay, let's try to solve this in a, in a way that hasn't been done before. And that's where like real innovation comes from. Like Clubhouse has what, like a hundred million people now. Um, You know, um, Apple is like insane in terms of its market cap. So all of these things are the business side that I'm like, oh my god, this is what I really feel like business teaches me a lot more of. Business never teaches you here's how to like, you know, make eighty billion dollars. Business teaches you how to take an idea from, you know, the ideation phase to scaling it appropriately. Um, And that's really why I was like, okay this MD, MBA thing might work out. Cause I think the MD really ha- emphasizes this linear ABCDEFG, which is great, but the MBA now has really given me the tools to be like, okay, do I know how to evaluate an idea? Am I thinking about this correct in terms of the financials? Uh, am I thinking this correct of like, is this even viable? Can I make something like this? So I, I totally agree with you. There's two sides of looking at the world and they're both necessary. And unfortunately I think right now in medicine, um, because medicine is so conservative, we focus a bit more on the ABCD approach, as opposed to the open ended approach, because that inherently tends to have a bit more risk, right? Like if I wanted to cure cancer, um, you, you have to take a lot of steps to get there. And that's a very risky thing. But if you want to then and just say like, oh, I want to just try out a drug, that's a little bit less risky. And you know, that's what medicine is a bit more amenable to at this moment
0: yeah absolutely and it's really interesting but we do often deter people that are more on the creative end of things or like the artistic end of things or who have different backgrounds from pursuing a career like medicine because all the hoops that they have to jump through to eventually get to the finish line are very linear and very you know like they just know from knowing themselves and having self-awareness that that's something that's gonna be very hard for me because that's not the kind of person I am I don't work well on a schedule that's very set And I don't particularly work well with, you know, not being able to have control over my schedule or doing things my own way and things like that. And these are personality traits. They're not really, um, you know, just because you're good at doing things in a very, you know, strict, uh, oriented, just like narrow, focused way doesn't equate to intelligence. It just equates to what you, your brain is adjusted to working in that kind of way.
1: And, and um, you might even argue that, like for example, a lot of people going into med school may have that creative side to them, but like the system, <laughs> and I hate saying that word, but like for example, the seven-year commitment you sign up for when you get into med school, which is four years of med school, at least three-year residency, that system in and of itself, because only, it only rewards this A, B, C, D, E, F, G, do these things to get to the end point, that creative side of you may actually just get worn out. You know, you may not get you it know, just like a muscle. If you don't exercise the muscle, you're not, you're but not going to have weight. the muscle. Yeah, exactly. So it almost takes the system almost disincentivizes and takes it out. So um, you, you kind of have to make a um, intentional effort to make sure you retain that aspect.
0: Yeah. We're, we're touching on an interesting thing because I actually looked at, did a little bit of research on this particular subject in ter- with, with regard to creativity and it, it its valid- validity as an actual muscle rather than something that you just have and the more you use it the more creative you are and the less you use it the more it withers away and there's actually a really interesting piece on this with uh, Brene Brown uh, she has a really interesting talk on this particular subject when you let your Creativity wither away, which is a lot of what the medical process does. Yeah. That it doesn't actually wither away, it actually metastasizes and Mm. it turns into resentment and it turns into uh, unhappiness and it turns into discontentment. It doesn't go away. When you're not able to fully express yourself, which is the way you've been operating your whole life as a kid growing up, then you go into something where you're not allowed to express that anymore. It wow. doesn't just go away. It turns into all these other things. And I know for myself 100% that when I wasn't able to express my creativity, whether it be through the podcast or through the blog or through you know some business project or something I was doing, it did. It did metastasize. It did come. In, it did turn into resentment. It did turn into uh, rebellion. It did turn into anti-authoritarianism. <laughs> because you. for me, oh, this makes a lot of sense. Yeah. For me, these are this. These were my outlets. These were how I felt yeah. happy. And medicine, mm. I felt like took away a lot of that for me from me because yeah. because and it didn't feel fair. And it turned into these things that I couldn't understand, which were resentment. And rebellion and other things like that. So I think the medical system is still comp- very immature and unaware, and it's very unself aware that. When you put people through a process like this for long periods of time, when there's tremendous sunken cost, when people have put so much on the line, when they have so much to lose, and you put them through a, pro- a process that's very strict, that re- offers no leniency, that's high stakes, that has a tremendous hierarchy, yeah. has a culture that's very constraining and doesn't yeah. allow you to be yourself, or you know, like you have to fit in, or you know, get fit out where it's very one-sided politically in terms of leaning very left rather than right. There's no room for any, you know, moderate being, you know, conversation even. Yeah, there's no room. Yeah. For, there's no, you can't, you know, you can't really be on one on the other side of the spectrum because academia is very typically left. Yeah. Um, so, so, and it's not to say like we have to all, you know, for me, my political stance is I would still say I'm more left, but even that. If you're not left enough, you're sometimes not. You know, you don't fit in, and that's oh, yeah. uh, a product against you. Oh yeah. So, so there's so many things like this that medicine is completely unaware of that manifest in so many ways that create malignancy in the people that are in the process of Absolutely. going through it.
1: Yeah. Now that you even bring it up, I can even say, like for example, when I was in rotations. I feel like you're right. Like one of my outlets was quite literally like making sure I was running or like publishing a YouTube video or like having, and that made me feel way better. Like I would be studying so much, but the moment I would make a video or the moment I would um, do something that I knew was like my happiest place, like you would, I would notice my own mind change. And I can only imagine like if I hadn't done that, it probably would have come out in way more horrible slash less healthy ways.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, it happens to a lot of people. And, um, you know, it's very unfortunate that we don't have a system that is aware of these things of what they're doing to people. Because they're quite literally, the system is quite literally ruining lives, you know, quite Mm -hmm. regularly. Quite regularly, <laughs> um, and I fear for a lot of people going into medicine. That especially if I see traits similar to myself, I say I, you're going to have a really hard time going through this process um, mm. because I know what it rewards and I know what it um, you know punishes. Yeah, and so like it is a uh, it is something that I think I don't know if it will ever be changed. I don't know if there's uh, I don't know if we'll ever find the right leadership. That comes into medicine that is able to create this change because the leaders in medicine are typically these type A, very narrow-minded people that end up rising to the top, um, yeah. and and actually a lot of them are quite narcissistic because you know it's very it's proven actually in leadership. <laughs> I feel like most circles, doctors probably are. Yeah. Well, it's proven actually. Like mostly, like narcissistic people have this kind of urge to be in powerful positions, so they mm. end up rising to the top in structured hierarchies, which you know creates these uh non-functioning systems for us in medicine but that makes sense um you know something conversation for another time anyways Uh, (laughs) (laughs) uh, but but i want to get back to my point here and i want to get back to what we are you know focusing this episode on it's your entrepreneurial spirit that you are combining with your medical spirit yeah Mm -hmm. and i'd love to dive into like you know, for you as someone who's in medicine and you took on this this role or this kind of project to build a board game and scale it and build it, like, were there a lot of fear factors before you kind of dove into this? Did you know what you were doing? Did you have any idea how this was going to play out? And did you have a plan in place? Or did you kind of just kind of wing it and just like fall into it slowly?
1: Yeah, it's this like the prototypical, like learn by doing example that I can think of. Um, Quite literally never knew anything about like, what are we going to do? I will say the turning point really did come when you get like some aspect of capital. So when like you have money, that opens up a lot of doors. So um, initially I put together a team of organic chemistry nerds who like I shared my idea with and they were like, this is great. And I'm like, awesome. So let's do it. So we, you know, just like uh, any class, we would meet regularly and we would just every, every time we met, we would move a little bit further. It's like, okay, what are, what's the, what are we trying to do? We're building a board game. How are we going to make this a game? Okay, this is the step one. This is step two. We gamified it. And then we were like, okay, well, now we actually need to like get money. And so we knew Kickstarter was like a hotbed for a lot of these creative projects. And I knew for Kickstarter, you would need to, you know, guarantee certain number of games for people who pledged you would also need to make a video. So we did a rough, you know, on the back calculation of, you know, if we did get it, how much would this game cost? How much would we, should we be asking for from individuals? And um, as I said, all of this was just learning on the job. Like we were like, okay, let's just guesstimate, like how much does Monopoly cost? Okay. It costs like 30 bucks, but they have scale. Monopoly can like, obviously, <laughs> and, you know, manufacture at much lower cost. So assuming we're like, clearly not as good as Monopoly, maybe our game game will cost like 40 bucks. So we put that in, we made a video. um, And again, even making the video, I like just got someone who loved organic chemistry and also had video skills. And so much of like the early stages was finding the right people um, who cared enough to do it not like for equity, not, not so much cash. Cause we didn't have anything. So I was like, okay, well here's the idea. And if we bring it to life, you'll own a certain amount of, you know, the product, so to speak. And I didn't even know that that's what equity was, but I like had just was like, okay, well it's only, this is the only thing I can give you. Uh, so, so that's kind of like how I realized like, Oh, that's equity. Yeah. Uh, and so we did the same for the graphic designer And I think the real turning point came when we put it up on Kickstarter and within like a month and a half, we had like $25,000 or $15,000 and like 300 people who were willing to buy the game. And we were like, oh, okay, shit. So now we have a demand and now we actually have money. So like, let's get this going. And that's where like things just started going down the hill after that.
0: Wow. Did you have like pictures of what the board game looked like? And, you know, you posted like examples or mock-ups of what it would look like to people on Kickstarter?
1: Yes. So we had like designs that we had made and like some of the early designs were quite literally like eight and a half by 11 pieces of paper that just looked very aesthetically pleasing. Um, and we also had like, for example, another way we made the game was that we printed it out on like really big paper and laminated it. Um, and just that like, It looks way different from that now when we actually have a physical product, but like we had to show people we like knew what we were doing. And so creating a minimal viable product was like a very pivotal step to showing people like, oh shit, these guys aren't just like high schoolers who like are in their basement thinking of random crap. They actually like turned it into a physical thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so that game looks like the Kickstarter video shows a version of the game that doesn't even look remotely similar to what we ended up shipping out to everyone the thing we shipped out was way better but like as i said like the fundamentals of entrepreneurship i learned along the way which was you know having something rather than nothing is way better because it shows people you're actually like in it and then Mm -hmm. once you have money like that actually opens up a lot more doors like the moment we had money we were able to reach out to people in china who could help us manufacture the game and ship it overseas and actually the game was manufactured in china and then shipped overseas, and now it's in like Seattle in like a warehouse, and like every time we get an order, we ship it out across the world essentially. Um, and so a lot of these things only happen because we actually have the resources, and once we've had the resources, we then have to like figure out like, okay, how are we going to do this? We have to make the game, we have to ship it out, we have to create an interface, all of that stuff. Which, mm-hmm. you know, looking back now, I'm like, there's no way I did all of that. That's,
0: that's <laughs> insane.
1: But like, you, you slowly have to like learn as you go, and I think having stakeholders who you have to kind of respond to Uh, people who have bought the game and are relying on you really hold you a lot more accountable Mm -hmm. because it's not just an idea anymore. You have to like follow through on these people who are like gave you their money because they want your product.
0: Right, right, right. That's actually a huge, uh, I could see that being a huge motivator for sure. And uh, I think when we talk about business, like uh, for me, what I always think is really interesting is creating minimum viable product and how different companies and different products make that. Um, so did you actually create the board game entirely first as your minimum viable viable product like as like something just like as a prototype that you could take some pictures of or did you just create some virtual like online drawings that sketched out what this board game would look like
1: so we created a full-on game so we had um, as i said we printed out the game board on like a really big sheet of paper and laminated it But then the cards that you used to play, kind of like Yu-Gi-Oh or Pokemon cards, those were made physically by like um, like Microsoft Word and like breaking a Word document into like whatever we thought a card would look like, and then copying and pasting it over and over. And obviously, the details on the cards were not all there, but like we would have like the title and then like the key points in the description, Um, and then like it was not aesthetically pleasing at all. It was literally like Times New Roman. But then we printed it out cut all those cards out. We had like multiple decks and you know, we, we physically tried to play it to see if it worked.
0: Yeah. But it was enough for someone to click on it, take a look and see all of a sudden like in their imagination, oh, this would be really cool. I could totally see how this would be fun. And
1: yeah. it just
0: like, that's what the MVP really is. It's just something that can create a spark of interest and imagination and someone can like, you know, see like, oh, this could definitely come, see how it could come to life basically.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. It's a, it, and a minimal viable product is almost always just something that shows people you actually care enough to make something. Cause it's very, the ideation stage is the easiest barrier. Like anyone can have a million great ideas. And the, one of the biggest bottlenecks, I think is to actually show like, okay, you have an idea. What have you done so far? Have you actually done anything aside from just tell me it's a great idea and there's a lot of money in it because then it really sets apart the people who are like, oh, no, I have, which means you've spent your time, you spent several hours, you've spent, you know, you care enough about this to actually do something. And now you've actually created something. Um, and people value that a lot more than just, oh, this is a billion dollar idea. Here's what we're going to do. And here's how we're going to do it.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And I think it, it just shows like a sense of a, a bit of commitment as well. And it gives people something to look at and be hopeful for and it does set you apart from the people that are just ideas and the people that are, you know, gonna actually go out and build this thing. Because I think uh, I think, what uh, a lot of people get afraid of now with like the whole startup scene in the startup world and, you know, lots of money going around from investors is that, you know, a lot of people have great ideas and they're all talk, but that then, then a lot of people fizzle out that never end up yeah. you know, following through with their idea that they've been talking about for months.
1: Exactly. I mean, yeah. it kind of goes back to the whole grid thing that we're talking about, right? Because um, you need to not only have the ability to think of an idea, but you also need to know, like, if I'm going to invest in something as someone who's going to, for example, buy this board game, I need to know the person who's behind it is not just going to like, oh, shit, we don't know how to distribute, I guess we won't make the game. Or like, oh, shoot, we don't know where to manufacture, I guess we won't make the game. Like, when people are giving you money. Um, or when you're thinking of making something, the people who give you the money to make it happen need to see that like you can figure out solutions to random problems that will come up, not ABC type of problems in medicine, you know, like that linear thinking. They need to know that like, okay, there's going to be countless open-ended problems you're going to face, but we need to see that you're able to do that. And by creating an MVP, of creating a minimal viable product, you're already showing that level of thinking because you were able to take this idea and physically turn it into a product. And now you have to like figure out a bunch of other stuff, but at least you've shown me you've done that first big hurdle, which I think is pretty impressive.
0: Right. And then uh, another thing that comes to mind is the team, right? So uh, another thing that gets people to give you money and gets people to believe in you is having the right team. And do you think in your situation, people saw like you as a medical student p- going to Yale and then other uh, fellow nerds as you <laughs> called them <laughs> uh, were like oh these guys like really are passionate about organic chemistry it seems like you know they already you know work together on this thing like did you think that sec- created created a little bit of security that you know yes we, these are people I'll give my money to
1: Yeah, that for sure. The team was like really important. Um, And I feel a little happy that I somehow had, um, you know, the luck and fortune of like kind of recognizing people who cared enough and like knowing that they would buy into it. Um, Because anytime you make something, you need to make sure that the person you bring on is as committed, if not more committed than you. Because I feel like when you're in the early stages of ideation, your bottleneck becomes the person who cares the least. Yep, um, and that is 100%. horrible, right? Like when you're with someone and you know, they're working less than you are, you don't want to work at that point. Cause you're like, wait, why would I work? If you're, if you're like not working at all, you clearly don't care about this.
0: That is but, so true.
1: But if you have someone who cares just as much, if not more then you're like, oh shit. Like, you know, my co-host right now, um, or my, my board game members now, they do such a good job of maintaining the orders and like just seeing them consistently be on it is it, And I learned this early on too. By me being fully invested and being around them, I wanted to do more and they also wanted to do more by seeing how much I was invested, but that 100%. can easily flip. That can easily flip so quickly. If you're ever in like a group project where you always like to have like that one dude who doesn't give a shit, no one <laughs> wants to do anything at that point. Yeah. Cause they're like, wait, this guy doesn't care. Why should I care? You know? Yep. Um, and so building that team is pivotal. And I think I got really lucky that the few people that I decided to bring on cared so much about the organic chemistry And they thought the idea was creative that they were like, yo, let's do this. Like, you know, like we'll, we'll hang with you in the L's and we'll, we'll, we'll celebrate the W's, but we were all equally invested. um, Because sometimes it's also easy that the moment you get rejected, people will be like, Oh, this is stupid. I'm not going to do it. But you really need to have people know that like, okay, this is
0: the long haul. If we're going
1: to do this, we need to all care as much about it or else this is not going anywhere.
0: That's so true, man. There's so much truth in that. And uh you know, I've, I've I've learned this recently through uh, through my own startup right now with my co-founder, you know, when we are work like seeing my co-founder's level of commitment and energy and excitement about the project yes. in turn fuels my excitement, commitment, and energy towards the product. And like, you know, it's really, really exciting when there's that energy. And I've also worked on projects with people that, Especially when there's an equal equity split where you know, like, you guys all we are both in this, have, yeah, especially, yeah, especially when you know that's the stakes. Like, if someone's not working as hard as you and you feel like you're carrying 90% of the team or 75% of the team, you're gonna be like, Why the hell am I working so hard when this other person who has equally as much equity as me is not doing the same? And then there's this creates resentment and like things that you would never expect in a team. Um, and this is human nature, you know, like this is literally human nature. Uh, so that's an awesome point. So pick, pick people that you know, are going to be committed just as much as you, especially if this is a project you expect to spend the next five to 10 years on, Mm. like you really got to know that person is going to be in it a hundred percent with you. They're going to leave their job, they're going to do this full-time, this is not a side gig, this is a full-on hustle. And and for different situations, you know, in your case, you know, like this sounds like something you could maintain, um, you know, doing other things. And it just varies based on the level of complexity of the project that you're taking and what you all agreed on, you want to take it to.
1: No, I mean, that's the people around. I mean, this is how we connected, right? The one thing I've learned and it's maybe taking me longer than I would have liked. Um, and the one thing I would encourage anyone who's young to really leverage is other people. Like other people are incredible. There are people who are smarter than you, better than you, and probably anything and everything. Um, and by surrounding yourself with the right people, you will do way more faster, better, longer than you ever have before. Um, and leverage that to your advantage. But at the same time, um, you know, understand that if you're putting your like life, blood, and tears into something and you don't see that, there are other people who are maybe willing to do that. So don't like w- hope that it'll come around. Like if you care enough about it and you see that someone else doesn't, you gotta you gotta switch. Uh, a bit, or at least like be transparent about what you're feeling. You know, like if you personally are having a rough week and I'm like, I can't do anything with our startup this week. Sorry. I'm like really going through some shit and I, I need a break. You need to communicate that because sometimes exactly. people are not assholes. Usually <laughs> they they usually do care enough, but there's something else that's going on. And when people don't communicate that, that's where a lot of issues can arise. Um, mm-hmm. And sometimes maybe it's not that I don't give a shit about the product. It's that I had 80 other things going on this week and I just feel like, you know, really overwhelmed and couldn't deal with it. If you had told me that, I will take it much more receptively and be more than willing to work more than 90% of, you know, our split because I, I know what you're going through. But if you don't tell me that and just expect me to like learn that, that can really help. So I think communication is that like last really important
0: point. You are wise beyond your years, my friend, Barack. Uh, that's a very, very, very wise Thanks, statement. <laughs> no, yeah. but co- communication is so, so key in anything, like in a, in a project, in a relationship, and whatever. I and mean, then you just have to communicate, uh, especially the things that you don't want to communicate because they're very, very hard to get off your chest. Those are the things you should probably communicate the most um, because they are the things that will weigh you down the most if you don't. <laughs> um but very, very wise statement.
1: I mean, so. I actually remember now, like, we've had so many um, things, and I think one of our team members set the precedent where she actually was like, I'm going through some mental health stuff right now. Um, and she was very open and vulnerable with us. Um, and she was, she cared a lot about the project, but she pretty much dipped. For like a few months because of that and that set such a great precedent because i had a very similar thing saying i'm going through something right now and you know life happens uh, life is not immune to we're not immune to the happenings of life but by creating a culture where people feel okay saying that and where we all chip in when that shortcoming happens it for me at least that's what's made uh, react sustain to this day we're like four or five years out and we're all, we're not, no one's even worked ever on this full time. It was, yeah. you know, I'm a med student at Yale. We have another med student at Hofstra, another med student at Western and, and the two PhDs, a PhD student at UCLA, everyone is part-time. But that's, yeah. what's been so impressive to me that like five students who clearly aren't doing this at all full-time have been able to
0: sustain it. Yeah, dude, that's uh that's really awesome. And, uh, and uh, you know, it is, it is one of those things, the more I think about like, that is so important that, if you can just communicate and be honest and people you know will look at that and say okay well you know we all go through stuff and you know we can all step up for you and you know looks we'll exp- you know like the team you build a good culture within your team and that that's ultimately what it's about and the amount of time you will spend with your team <laughs> is really uh, it's really a lot like they become closer than family in a way because absolutely building a startup is like every hour all the time every day you're on phone calls when you're not together it's really it's really um like a huge uh, it's a huge thing building a company with someone or with other people so take us through like what we're so let's let's you know kind of go more chronologic now like you get this minimum viable product up on kickstarter you raise up to you said $30,000 correct and
1: yeah so 15,000 in kickstarter and then like another 10,000 through other other pro, uh, entrepreneurial like awards essentially
0: awesome so then take us through the next process like what happens after that
1: so then um that was actually the scariest part cuz now you're sitting on like 30k and you're like wait now I actually have to do this you know <laughs> like now you really are like locked in and so you're responsible for making the product Um, And we actually then figured out, like, we reached out to a bunch of board game designers in the past. And we're like, how did you, like, manufacture this thing? So we got a couple of connections. And this is where I met people, 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 right? Um, Reaching out, they were nice enough to help us. We reached out to people in China once we had the manufacturer. Um, This is all happening over email. We said, here's our product. Back and forth, sending of PDFs and whatnot. And they were like, okay, yeah, how many copies do you want? We said 1,000. They were like, cool, we'll uh, send it over. <laughs> and so shipped it over. Um, we made the payment through like PayPal. And now it was in Arizona or, or sorry, uh, some, Washington, Arizona, one where it was delivered. And um, then we had to figure out distribution. So that's another thing. We reached out to other people who had board games. What are you using to distribute your product? How are you doing it? Are they good? They they gave us references. We found a distributor Um And they were in charge of not only keeping and storing the games, but also distributing it out whenever we got an order. And then we had to integrate that with our website. So someone could go on our website, place an order, that order, we get the data from an order, we have to then connect that data point to the distributor so they know where that game goes. So we had to kind of facilitate that process. And this is what I mean. Like each of these steps is never a it's never like a question you'd get in medicine, which is what antibiotic do you use to treat this bacteria? It's, it's like an open-ended question, which is like, what is the most efficient way to distribute this game? Like internationally, it's not even national, right? Like it's like someone in Singapore has bought our game. Someone in the middle East has bought our game. Multiple people in India have bought our games. So you have to like, it's such an open-ended question where you're like, holy shit. Like, I don't even know how to address it. And this is like where people come in. People have done this. People have been in the board game industry and in any industry you're thinking of, there are people much smarter who know exactly the ins and outs that will help you. So that at that point, it really comes down to like saying like, Hey, I'm understanding your humility. Be like, I have made this thing. I have no idea what I'm doing. Can you help me? And yeah. you'd be very surprised. People will be like more than happy to like, okay, yeah, here's how distribution works. And you you'll definitely fail. You know, like I'm sure we're paying way more than most people would to get their to game distributed. But um, with those failures come the ability to learn and say like, okay, next time we do this, how do we want to change it? Or next time when we manufacture, here's what we need to consider. The fact that like shipping from China to the United States is pretty damn expensive. Uh, And then once it's here, we also have to think about where are we going to store it? Because guess what storage has cost? So all of these things were things I never thought about. Um and, and luckily we had enough capital to like be like, okay, we like definitely under accounted for this. Here's how we need to account for that. But if we hadn't, you know, I would have had to put in my own money. And that's just like one of the things you gotta do when you're when you're taking the risks of, you know, starting and creating something and making it um, you know, available to someone.
0: Yeah. Yeah. People, it's like that's what it all comes down to. And from what I'm getting from what you're saying is, you know, your networks and the people that you felt comfortable going to with these questions people who have done this before specifically with other you know board games have been able to step up and help you get to where you need to be much faster than if you just tried to figure it all out on your own and And
1: i wouldn't have been able to that's not what i would still be working on it probably there's no way Mm -hmm. i would have been able to figure it out um but that's that's the that's the amazing part of humanity like there's all there's nothing you probably are doing right now that you're the first one to ever do you know, right. uh, and you know this as being a doctor too. People right. think that they're the first one to, to to feel a certain way. There's a lot of people who have felt the exact same way, yep. and that's where support groups come in. And so, um, learning that is actually a very harsh realization because most people are very high overachievers, and they're like, "No, I can figure this out." And you probably <laughs> could, but someone's already done the work and yep. is more than happy to help you, so you can then spend a bit more of your time, you know, paving the road ahead as opposed to like. Recarving a road that's already been created
0: right did you find us was there a specific mentor or someone who really understood this that you approached that was like a huge help for you was there one specific person that you sought out as a mentor or anything
1: no no it was all over the place like for example the one person who comes to mind was like one of my family members uh he's like my uncle and he helped us a lot with the legal stuff setting up a, a c-corp setting us Setting up a trademark, getting a copyright—like, how do I do all of that? And that's like its own domain that we yep. had to deal with. Um, and then, like, there were like, one—the good part about Kickstarter is it's its own community. So the fact that, like, the moment people saw we had met our goal on Kickstarter, people just start reaching out to you because they know that your next steps are to distribute and manufacture. So that's actually where we met quite a few people who were like, "Oh, you want? You're probably going to want to manufacture this game." Obviously, they were advertising their own services, but in the process, also giving us like, "Oh, this is like our next step. Let's reach out to this person, see what they're offering, see what they can do," um, and that gave us a lot more leads. So I, I, I credit Kickstarter for that one.
0: That's awesome, man. Um, okay, so that all happens. Um, you kind of figure out how to, you know, get your distributors, manufacture the product where like where are we on the timeline and what happens after you start you know gaining traction so right now
1: we're probably when I start medical school so I started this project in August of 2016 and I start medical school in August of 2017 so that whole manufacturing process took about a year um, and then I think it took another year like six months to actually start distributing to everyone who had bought a game on kickstarter so this almost was like 15 months out from when we had put our kickstarter so that's how long Uh, of a time it takes sometimes yeah um and kickstarter people know that when they bet on a project so that's another good part of like crowdfunding people know the risks involved and they're very uh, understanding but we started shipping out we um you know solidified the website so people could order copies Um, And I think we had like, not a big break, but I'd say like our biggest achievement was um, like two years in. So August of 2018, um, NPR, like how I built this. It's a podcast from Guy Raz. Mm -hmm. Um, I had told him about our product early on. And that's when his his podcast was just getting started. And he was like, you know, if you were able to figure this out, let me know. And we'd love to feature you at the end where they feature small scale entrepreneurs. Um, And so, you know, luckily by the two years, um, that podcast had gotten massive. It, it got it <laughs> blew up. But because I had showed interest in hit his podcast really early on, um, he was like still willing to take me up on it. He's like, if you actually like make this thing and are distributing internationally and actually have a decent website, let me know, uh, and we'll feature you. And so, luckily, we were able to get featured on. Um, how I built this, which is crazy because that's been like one of my favorite podcasts. Yeah and, it's the my podcast, favorite too. <laughs> yeah. and the podcast had picked up so much traction at that time that the people they were featuring at the end were just as badass as like the main entrepreneurs. Like the people at the end were like making a million in sales. And I was just like this guy who was like, I had a board game and then we had sold like <laughs> a couple hundred copies and clearly not the same level of magnitude. Uh, but I felt really proud of it because it was like, uh, it was like the pinnacle of like this journey, which started as, an idea and you know now we now you can buy it online and um you know people had people gave us awards and people were like wow this is such a cool idea and that's where like you really get to sit back and be like cool i created something that you know has made a couple lives better off and i think that's the beauty of entrepreneurship it's
0: pretty cool so did you know guy Raz before he started is that how you did you just know him
1: i knew him um through how i like ted radio hour was his podcast before how i built this right and right. so when he started how i built this i i just reached out to his team saying you guys are doing this podcast that's super cool i'm working on this board game and like i see that you're featuring small scale people at the end would you be interested in featuring me um and so i never knew, knew him but his team reached out and because that podcast was still starting they were like oh that's super cool yeah we'd love to but like, dude, you don't even have a product yet. So we're not going <laughs> to do that. So why don't you like reach out to us when you're like actually done and we'll see. And I was like, okay, sure. And it took two years, but in that time his podcast blew up obviously, cause it's such a great podcast, but because I had, you know, the in with them early on, they were still willing to take me up on that, uh, offer.
0: Oh, that's amazing, man. Yeah. That's really cool. Um, so, okay. So you got on the podcast. Um, what happens after that?
1: You know, we saw an uptick in sales, um, and then ever since then, um, React has kind of become more of like a side hustle, uh, which is nice because <laughs> surprisingly, medical school was a little bit more intense than I had thought, and I couldn't focus on on this board game for my whole life. Um, so it's kind of been in the back burner, but it's cool because we get like eight nine sales a month. Um, mm-hmm you know, just passively, which is really nice. And people are, you know, just genuinely finding out about our game, whether that's through, you know, podcasts like this, or, or maybe they'll listen to my podcast episode with Guy Raz every now and then. And that's essentially kind of where it's at right now. And it's, it's, it's cool, because it's kind of in the back burner. But at the same time, I still credit it being the first thing that really got me really interested in like, this whole aspect of realizing medicine is not just about helping patients, you could easily like spend A lot of time in medicine, creating products like React, and you know, helping Mm -hmm. innovate in that way.
0: Right. And were you thinking of pursuing a MD or MBA prior to this, and had you already applied for the MD MBA?
1: I not before I started React, but the moment I saw React, you know, get to where it was, and like the moment I realized how much joy I was getting from it, like for example, it's kind of what you said where. You know, you might be having a crappy day, but the moment I like talked about React and like seeing progress or like trying to deal with the next big thing or challenges, I would just, it would just be a refresher. You know, medicine is amazing, but it's also really tiring. And React was like a great outlet in my early years. And so that's when I knew I was like, okay, well, if I really want to keep this door viably open, maybe an MBA is like a good next step.
0: That's awesome, dude. And what do you like? How how have you enjoyed your 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 MBA portion of your studies compared to like your medical school studies?
1: I love an MBA. I just love. I'm surprised more people don't do it. I get it because it's very expensive. But like the skill set I've learned, especially as someone who never did any business, has been like irreplaceable. Like I, I feel like I always kind of understood it, but I'd never formally taken econ or never formally learned what investing meant. Like it was a great place to get everything in one place. And just like now I feel so much more confident when people ask me business questions about React or like when people are like, what do you think the market size is? How do you what's your go-to-market strategy? How do you plan on like acquiring customers? What's the customer acquisition cost? Um all of these things, which before I, I'm 100 percent positive anyone can learn on their own. I just think an MBA does a very good job. At least the one at Yale does a very good job of like, they have this thing called a core curriculum where they bring in all of these perspectives and go over all of them in like a year. Um, Mm. And I just thought it was like perfect for me. It was like exactly what I wanted to get out of the MBA.
0: Okay, here's, here's here's my most curious question. How would you compare getting the MBA compared to the real world experience of you building... Um, this board game from start to finish. Like how do you weigh those two things in terms of what helped you learn more?
1: So the experience is definitely just, if you were to look at absolute percentages, way more important. Like if I didn't have that and I just got an MBA, it would be useless because it would just be like, cool. Um, But the MBA with the fact that I've done something like react first is like synergistic. It's not just like an added value of an MBA. It's like, added value and then some, because now I'm one of those people that once I know the theory behind something, I can walk the walk and talk the talk. But if I don't know the theory at all, I like feel very shy. Like it's like, I'm like before the word revenue used to scare me or like, you know, like fixed costs. I would just be scared by that because I was like, I've never studied this. I don't know what I'm Mm -hmm. talking about. Um, But now that I know the theory behind a lot of these, it's like Synergistic because I know the ins and outs of what I did with React. I know what it means to distribute. I know what supply chain means. But now I also know, like, what's the profit margin? Like, how are you making this a sustainable venture? How much are you taking in? How are, what's your acquisition cost? How are you going to discount this for the future? Uh, and now, because I f- know these things, I can talk about them with confidence. Before, maybe I was talking about them not knowing what I was doing. Uh, now I'm like talking about them and I'm like, no, you're wrong. I know exactly why I'm saying this is what the margin is. I know exactly mm. why I see this as like a $56 million market. I know exactly why we have a competitive advantage as this board game. Mm. Uh, where before it was kind of like, I kind of know what you're saying and I'm kind of going to bullshit. Um, and <laughs> hope you don't you know, recognize I don't know what I'm talking about. But now yeah. I'm like a lot more like no, I know yeah. exactly what I'm saying and why I'm saying it.
0: Yeah, yeah. So I get, it's giving you the language to use to put to put your experience into context.
1: Exactly. And if someone yeah. were to say, like, no, I don't agree with you. Your product doesn't have a competitive advantage. I'd say, like, no, I don't think you, we're talking about this the same way. Here's why I do think we have this. Right. So I, can, I feel way more confident talking with, like, C-suite executives or, like, anyone with a higher status who's, like, all right, well, now show me the numbers or, like, yeah, show yeah. me why you're different or, um, you know, like it's just it's just way easier for me to address those questions. Yeah.
0: And that and that is a thing that makes people feel confident in investing in you when you can, you know, take a strong stance on something that you believe in and explain why your stance is actually the right stance versus just kind of laying over and saying, Oh yeah, you're right. When when they may not be right.
1: Yeah. When exactly. you may be
0: right. Exactly. You know? So yeah, that's really cool. So so now it's more of a passive thing for you. You're you know getting your MBA, and uh, you're continuing your studies in medical school. Where do you see all of these things kind of coming together for you in the future? Like, what do you what are your plans?
1: Ah, dude, I don't know. This is like, <laughs> I don't know what I'm gonna do when I grow up. That's why I'm like <laughs> pushing it off. Um, you know, I'll do residency. I will. I really am. Ex- I love medicine, but I. I want to have some level of this in in my future life, whether that's, you know, coming up with my own practice and being able to innovate my practice in the way I want, whether that's, you know, having video tools or education tools for them, or maybe even like practicing, but then doing some healthcare administration and being able to innovate by creating new quality improvement projects or being able to innovate by creating different ways to keep patients engaged. Um, So something in there, I don't, I don't see myself practicing like, you know, like a hundred hours a week. But I see myself practicing, but then also using my practice to inform how I want to innovate on a larger scale.
0: Mm-hmm. Awesome. And uh, do you do you think that do you have an idea of what you want to pursue?
1: Yeah, I'm going to play internal medicine.
0: Uh, I, really, I called yeah. it. I knew yeah.
1: it. <laughs> yeah. I just love. I mean, I love thinking about the human body. I just didn't. I feel like if I were to pick one organ, I, I I'd be giving the short end of the stick to like everything else that I also love a lot. So right now, just internal medicine.
0: Did you ever think about surgery at all?
1: Not even a little bit. Not even
0: a little bit. No, yeah, figured no, no, no. it's uh, it's
1: not enough thinking for me, you know. Like it's you're you're like suturing, you're doing a lot of stuff with your hands, but you're not thinking as much. Uh, you might be thinking about the anatomy, but I like thinking a lot more about like what caused this, what could be happening here, what's happening, you know. So
0: I can see, it. I can see, it. I can see internist for sure being yeah something you'd enjoy. Yeah, awesome, dude. Well, uh, you know, what would you like to tell our listeners who are maybe, you know, similar to you pursuing an MD or MBA, um, also having an entrepreneurial spirit, wanting to build something, uh, what would you leave leave our listeners with?
1: Honestly, I feel like entrepreneurship is like such a fancy word, but I feel like everyone has that spirit. There's got to be something you care enough about that you're like, holy shit, I want to like make sure I care about this, whether that's music, whether that's, Um, a board game, whether that's, I don't know, like just talking to your family and whatever it is, like try to maintain those passions. Uh, I think medicine has this really sad way of stripping away some of those things if you let it. So don't let it like, make sure you set time aside for a lot of these things you care about, because believe me, I think you can be both a doctor and, you know, whatever it is you care about, whether that is um, board games or, or startups or tech or race car driving, whatever it is maintain that interest. Cause I feel like the people I respect a lot in medicine um, and at least the people who I aspire to be like are the ones who are great clinicians, but have gone and like made time for other things, whether that's their family. Like I love seeing clinicians who it's like family first. And then like, this kind of helps me, this is my job. That's like, I love that. Cause I see myself mm-hmm. doing something like that, yeah. but like, stay true to like those values. Cause if you don't, I feel like Unfortunately, medicine is a field where like no no amount of time is ever going to be enough. You could work like twenty five hours a day, eight days a week, and you still wouldn't be done. So, yep. stay true to like what you enjoy doing and and do that.
0: Absolutely love it, man. Well, uh, great to talk to you, Parak. It's been really fun, and uh, you know we'll talk again in the future. I'm I'm definitely curious to see uh you know your future endeavors and what you do in the future and we'll do more business and medicine talks because I think that is something uh important that you and I both talk about on Clubhouse which we didn't get into today Oh yeah um, but definitely like you know follow us on Clubhouse Barack, if you want to drop your at you know um and I'm sure we'll end up doing some rooms together at some point Oh
1: we will we will dude yeah. I love this but thanks yeah, for we- having me on it's always just nice to talk with someone who's very like-minded and um, I think I genuinely do think that and hope that this is where the future of medicine is headed but we'll see
0: absolutely brother all right man great talking with you
1: great talking with you